On this edition of Kiwi Tripsters, let's head to Lithuania. We take a dabble with Lake Constance. Tombstone tourism. What are the most famous graveyards in the world? And we hit the road on some scenic drives from Whangarei. We're back in the big wide world and at home in New Zealand. We're back with Kiwi Tripsters Travel Podcast. Get ready and take off to spectacular destinations as we continue our journey and share the inside word on all things travel. Whether it's luxury travel or backpacking on a budget, whether it's cruising or foodie trips, we've got you covered with top tips and tricks so you can have an amazing travel experience. And now, over to your hosts, Mike Yardley and Andrew Seppi. Welcome aboard Kiwi Tripsters, I'm Andrew Seppi. I'm Mike Yardley, how exciting to see you again Andrew. Oh the excitement never stops Michael. Speaking of which, yes, we have some breaking news to share. We do indeed. <laughs> Was that a trumpet? <laughs> keep going, keep going. French horn. <laughs> <laughs> Kiwi Tripsters is now a weekly podcast. A fresh edition, a fresh edition will happen every single week. Lucky old you. Do you want to sound your tuba again? Double the workload. Double the fun. Double the travel. Double the bugles. (laughs) Double the excitement. Ah, you are excited, aren't you? Damn boy. Well, first up, let's take you to Lithuania, the capital city of Vilnius, and it's an attractive place, um, or is it? Is Stalin still lingering? (laughs) The shadow of Stalin. Lingering the halls. Well, I was fully expecting it to be a rather oppressive sort of place. Yes. I sort of had visions of grey urban fabric. But um, the old town's architectural splendour definitely belies its blood-stained backstory. And there's a bit of that. Certainly. Nearly half of the city centre was destroyed in World War Two, But? The restoration effort has been sublime. So even behind the Iron Curtain, Vilnius uh, was sort of endowed with this enduring fairy tale appeal. Uh, it's, that's the thing about the Baltic states. They've been, you know, stirring architecture, spanning so many styles, Gothic Renaissance and the big showy Baroque. Instabate at every turn, although there's also plenty of grisly reminders of the Nazi and Soviet occupation. And what was your impression of the KGB Museum? I don't want to sound shallow, but this was probably my highlight of going to Vilnius Mm. because the atmosphere there was stone cold. It was like you'd walked into a real life drama. Yeah. Very sort of melancholic, even haunted mood in what was originally a gymnasium. It became the headquarters of the Gestapo and then the Soviet secret police. So all the bad buggers sort of took up residence there. There's something ironic about a former gymnasium becoming the um, yeah. the, you know, the yeah. Gestapo and then... It's so, true. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, the KGB ruled the roost for nearly 50 years uh, from the site, and it does still feel frozen in time because the cells are exactly how they were when the KGB officers departed the scene and fled Lithuania in 1991. Now, I'm sure every visitor to the museum is pretty much shocked by the execution and torture chambers in the basement. And these, This is what happened, you know, mm. particularly sobering. Over a thousand locals were executed here in the KGB museum. Well, it wasn't the museum back then. While untold thousands of perceived troublemakers were shipped off to Siberia. Yeah. And we had this fantastic local guide who took us through the KGB museum. And when we got down into the basement, all of the colour drained from her face as uh, she told me and uh, the group I was with how she shockingly discovered that her neighbour was a KGB officer 
responsible for a lot of those executions. And this was like days after Lithuania unclenched itself from the Soviet fist and sort of tasted liberation after such a long time. But yeah, I mean, she was still, you could tell, traumatised by this discovery about a neighbour she thought was a really nice guy. Well, that's it though. But, the, you know, the KGB, this, that's why they're the secret police. They don't mm. walk around saying I'm with the KGB. It's like when people, you know, the discover a serial killer in the neighbourhood. We never knew he was a serial killer. Well, of course you didn't. <laughs> They didn't put it off a sign. I'm off tonight to knock off a few people because I'm a serial killer. Don't tell anyone. Well, I said to her, what did you think he did? And she said, I thought he was a gardener. <laughs> so I don't know I don't know if he had a, was a he? T-shirt saying, I'm actually a gardener. Maybe he was burying people in oh, his backyard. Yeah, maybe. A lot of spades and shovels and pickaxes. Anyway, yes. how would you lift the mood after that? Well, actually, within the KGB museum, there is this uh, this gallery uh, with some really uplifting photos. The best of all is this massive uh, photographic display they've got illustrating the Baltic Way, uh-huh. which is probably one of the most famous mass demonstrations of the 20th century. Yes. Now, two million people linked hands 30 years ago along the major highways of the Baltic states to demand the peaceful restoration of independence. Now, this human chain covered the same distance as Whangarei to Wellington. It's a hell of a long way, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Yeah. And two years later, their wish was granted. Indeed. Lithuania became independent again, but the reminders of war are never far from view. Just out of town, uh, en route to a place called Trakai, I passed Panerai Forest, which was the scene of unimaginable horror. Apparently, within this forest... The Nazis exterminated 100,000 locals, most of them Jews. Yeah, and this is a bit of a troubled area, really. You've got the Gestapo, you you know, the rest of the Nazis, the KGB with mm. the, the Soviets, and Trakai was very popular. Yes, and it still is today. It's like dipping into a storybook because the setting is all lakes and forests and it seemingly floats on the water. There is a castle, Trakai Island Castle, which is where... The medieval Dukes of Lithuania ruled the roost. And it's really for Lithuanians today, their cradle of nationhood, because this 600-year-old castle is where liberation was first founded. And the castle's been fully restored. It's all crimson-coloured brick, and it's a really good little jaunt from downtown Vilnius after you get over the horror of Panerai Forest. Mm. So after all this, you know, KGB killings and torture and death, etc. Any culinary highlights nearby? <laughs> Trakai is very proud of a uh, savoury pastry in particular called Kibbenai. And they're actually very similar to Cornish pasties. Oh, how lovely. Yeah, very flaky, very sort of soft pastry. They stuff them with potato and mincemeat. I thought they were actually quite nice. Just nice where you pick me up. Considered the national dish Zeppelins. Now, I binged on these buggers. Zeppelins. Um, like Zeppelins. The big airship. Like the big thing. airship, yeah. yeah. Lovely. Yeah. So these are delectable dumplings made from grated and riced potatoes, stuffed with ground meat, dry curd cheese, and mushrooms. And they are so named because, as you would expect, Andrew, yeah. they <laughs> resemble this shape of a Zeppelin airship. Not the Hindenburg, hopefully. No. Oh, by the way, I know we've been talking about cold soups lately. We have. Yes, we have indeed. <laughs> Another Vilnius staple is cold beetroot soup <coughs> and potato sausages. Right. Which I 
Wouldn't recommend. No. No. It'll be a cultural, uh, what do they say, experience. A yes. bit like the hideous green sauce in Frankfurt we yes. spoke about last month. That's the one. And, uh, yeah, move mm. on. What about mead? Mead is a big business in Lithuania. <clears throat> yes, I was fascinated by Lithuania's love affair with this very ancient drink. You'll see it on sale everywhere. The Lithuanian Mead Company holds <laughs> the patent yeah. on the recipe for this unique drink, which um, goes all the way back to Indian ancient text 6,000 years ago. They've got the patent for it (laughs) in Lithuania. So the mead production today there is made from honey, hops, lime flowers, juniper berries. They're aged for at least 18 months. You can even enjoy a little sort of tasted tipple at Vilnius Airport, a nice wee pre-flight stiffener. That'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? Load up all the tourists with mead, pour them onto the plane and... (laughs) Watch the fun start from there. Very good. Uh, Just ahead, Tombstone Tourism. And we're off to Lake Constance. Don't go away. This is Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew, sticking with Europe. Let's head to Lake Constance. How very lovely. The most international lakes uh, because it is shored by Germany, Austria and Switzerland. So that would have had an interesting history. One little bit of it was quite neutral. The other bits were, you know, vying for world supremacy. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much, yes. It's a very multinational body of water. Uh, the Germans will call it Bodensee. They don't want to call it Lake Constance. They've got their own name for it. Of course they do. But I like Lake Constance. It's sort of, it's got a caressing feel to the name. It does sound very American, it? though. Lake Constance. Yeah. Constance, we're off to Constance. <laughs> oh, God. Well, anyway, on my latest swing through Europe, I was curious to sample the caress of Constance for a few nights. The and caress of Constance. I was caressed it's, by Constance. You were working on that all day, weren't yes, you? Yes, yeah. I was constantly caressed. And she didn't disappoint. <laughs> it's Europe's third largest lake. It resembles a scenic bulge in the Rhine River. And... Um, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yes. So the Rhine obviously starts in the Swiss Alps, right? It does. It flows north, mm-hmm. hits this ancient glacial basin of Lake Constance, so it sort of bulges out, and then it straightens itself up again and continues its very long, riverly march to the North Sea. That's your geography lesson for the day, Andrew. If you think we've been drinking before this episode, <laughs> I, I can possibly understand that. So if you're wanting to make like Mike and caress Constance, where is a good base? Well, on the <laughs> eastern side of Constance, I'd go east. Oh, would you? With Connie, yeah. yeah. Go to Bregenz. Bregenz. In Austria. In Austria, yes. The Romans knew it as Brigantium, which is... Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, 2,000 years ago. Bregenz is now this multi-layered tale of two towns. So you've got the historic upper town and your lakefront lower town. The lower town is more modern. It's got the buzzing shopping and entertainment district. But you'll definitely want to hook up with a local guide and take a walk to unearth all of Bregenz's treasures. Oh, yes. Mm. Just watch what local guide you hook up with. Now, yes. I hear the upper town is particularly impressive. Even escapist, mm. one might say, mm. as if you've skipped back four centuries uh, because the town has been so well preserved. Definitely. Frozen in time, there is a tranquility that sweeps you up in the upper town. Uh, you've got the Baroque blockbuster St. Martin's Tower, which boasts the largest onion-shaped roof in Europe. 
The what? The largest onion-shaped roof. Is that a thing to boast about? Apparently. They're uh, very proud of it. Oh, very good. Within the Tower's chapel, I actually found myself admiring these fabulous frescoes. You've got a thing about frescoes. Oh, I've got a fetish about frescoes. Mm-hmm. Now, these date back to the 14th century, and my guide, Walter, um, impressed upon me how they worked out. They must have been crafted by an Italian. Why? Because... Back in the day, in the 14th century, anyone living north of the Alps had not mastered the 3D artistic effect of frescoes. Of course. So it must have been a canny Italian who came across the Alps and decided to do a few etchings in this chapel. As one does when one comes north of the Alps. Down in the lower town, tell us about Kulmarketplatz which is home to the Cultural Mile. I got out my measuring tape with Walter. Of course, because that's what you carry when you're travelling. I wasn't convinced it was a mile. Was it? 200 metres. R- well. <laughs> <laughs> Misleading advertising in Bregenz by the Austrians. I want my money back. <laughs> but even though it's only 200 metres long, she is packed with creative storehouses like the Corn Market House Theatre, which actually, as the name suggests, takes its name from the city's legacy as a major player in the corn trade. The corn trade. Mm. Did the corn go over to America for the corn dogs for tall Paul that we spoke about? (laughs) Okay, yes, in the 16th century, Central Europe's climate cooled, and the climate change, yes, meant it was no longer possible to grow corn south of Lake Constance. So the city became a corn-growing powerhouse. There we have it. Mm. And that gave rise to much of the ornate architecture that you can admire today. Definitely. Now, there is this fantastic inn uh, on the Cultural Mile, 200 Mm. metres long, uh, called the Cornmesser Inn. It was built in 1720. It was previously the residence of the corn market boss. Fantastic place to enjoy a few lagers. And next (laughs) to that, the splendidly ornate St. Nepomuk Chapel, which is this 18th century Rococo jewel, beloved for its oval design. It's oval design, so mm. that didn't have an onion roof. No, no. Indeed. No, no. So the arty pursuits mm. and cultural highlights, yes. what rang your bells? Well, I went to the main art gallery, the Kunsthaus, mm. which is famed for its rotating contemporary art exhibitions. They had some works on display from Jordan Wolfson, which I actually found quite unsettling. I've heard about these. The, mm. Mm, okay. He's so, a troubled soul, he's, I think. <laughs> <laughs> He's got issues. It's kind of like, what do you call art? And uh, anyway, yes, yeah. explain, please. Well, this is an example of his work, which I struggled with. Virtual reality meets real violence. So mm. what happens is you go up to this little sort of display and you've got your virtual reality goggles. So you put those on And you watch a man being beaten to death by a baseball bat-wielding thug on the street in New York. And the idea for Jordan is that this is VR becoming RV, real violence, before your very eyes. I found it utterly sick because it was, like, hyper-real. You weren't actually watching real footage. Well, I'm not sure how they did it. It looked so real. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's art, apparently, darling. Oh. But down on the lake, for something a little more gladdening to one's soul, mm. check out the world's largest floating stage. Very famous floating stage it is, too. It is. 
Now, millions and millions of dollars are spent on the elaborate stage design for each summer production. This year, it was Puccini's Madame Butterfly that took centre stage. Now, you may very well remember this very, very nice floating stage from Mm. James Bond's Quantum of Solace and the big chase seen across the stage. Now, the neighbouring lakeside towns, where is good to visit? This is the cool thing about Lake Constance. You've got so many options. So from Bragans, I uh, jumped on a lake steamer, a bit like the TSS Hearns Law in Queenstown. Oh, yes. And they do a very brisk trade, hopscotching around Constance, these boats. But just 30 minutes away from Bragans is Bavaria's watery jewel of Lindau. And it's got the most awesome harbour guarded by this gigantic sandstone lion, like way big, and a sublime lighthouse. The medieval architecture, once again, of Lindau is just incredible. Um, A lot of their wealth came from being a service town on the trade route to Italy. But best of all, the beer gardens Mm -hmm. for the best Bavarian lager and Wienerschnitzel. Yeah. And if you spot a few Zeppelin airships, Aloft, floating around near the lake. The Bavarian lager hasn't got the better of you. This is the home base for the Zeppelin, which the Zeppelins are still flying. Yes, I was so excited about this. They're very cool. Aren't they amazing? So just west of Lindau, you can head to the neighbouring town of Friedrichshafen, which is proudly home to those cigar-shaped airships. Huge. So this is where they first took flight. They became a craze until the Hindenburg disaster in uh, New Jersey punctured the love affair. Well, that was when they filled Zeppelins with hydrogen, which Mm. is the most flammable gas, Mm. and it went boom. Mm. Uh, They don't fill them with hydrogen now. They fill them with helium or hot air. So if you ever get a chance to travel in a a Zeppelin, don't worry about the Hindenburg thing. They kind of got that wrong. Do you know they actually had, they were filled with hydrogen and they also had a smoking room in the Zeppelins. Oh my goodness. It was going to happen, wasn't it? Yeah. You can actually walk through a reconstruction of the passenger cabin of the Hindenburg at the Zeppelin Museum. It would be cheerful, wouldn't it? It is. Very cheerful. Uh, But you can see what they were enjoying before. Boom. Yeah. Things sort of went pear-shaped in the airship. But um, yeah, this is all in Friedrichshafen. The airships are still taking flight from the Overlake Constance. I checked it out, and for a one-hour jaunt, uh, it will cost you about $300. They seat 12 passengers nowadays. Yes. So the airships you see today, they're about a tenth of the size of the originals. But you're right, they are filled with helium And now. you can imagine the size of the originals filled with hydrogen. Oh, unreal. Did you know, did you know, Michael, a fan of things American architecture, oh, yeah. the, you know the Empire State Building? Yes. You know the big needle on the top of it? Yes. Do you know what that was? That was designed as a mooring post for Zeppelins. That's what they originally designed it for. Seriously? When they thought that Zeppelins were going to be the future of air travel. That's a fun fact for this edition, folks. Indeed. Stay with us. We take a tour of some of the world's most famous cemeteries in just a moment. Don't go away. Welcome back. This is Keep Me Tripsters, Mike and Andrew. Let us talk tombstone tourism or cemetery tourism that is a trending travel genre around the world. It may seem a little uncheerful. Can I ask you a question? You can indeed. What country, what nationality do you think may have coined the phrase tombstone tourism? (laughs) Perhaps people from the United States, Michael. (laughs) 
I love it, eh? Tombstone terrorism. Yeah. And they have a point because you only have to look at, say, the World War commemorations in recent years to see just how immensely popular pilgrimages are you know, to war graves, as an example. Indeed, and we did discuss on several podcasts ago, mm. Punchbowl Cemetery in Hawaii, yes. where it just rose and rose and rose, and it is a, an yep. incredible experience. It's like Gallipoli, you know, why yeah. New Zealanders go there as a pilgrimage. Yeah. Well, I guess same. You're not going to the graves mm. if you go to concentration camps. Well, you kind of are because people were buried. But, yeah, that's true. Mm. Yeah. And in Bali, death tourism has gone next level. In recent years, you can visit the Northern Ireland village of Tanyan to see and even touch bodies that are laid out to rot in bamboo cages. The touchy bit makes me, you know, instead of being buried or cremated. So only COVID interrupted the hordes of tourists flocking to get their fix of this spectacle. And it just is a little bit, why would you go and touch? I have no (laughs) idea. Because once the flesh is rotted away, yeah. what you're left with are the skull and the bones. So they're added to a shrine under a sacred tree in Tunyon. It's very Jeffrey Dahmer, isn't it? It is just so macabre. But yeah, just before COVID hit, there were hordes of people, particularly Australians, I hasten to add. Australians, really? Australians were going there. Oh. Aussie backpackers. They'd got sick of the beach. Let's go and look at some dead rotting bodies, love. Give that a poke, mate. <laughs> give the, give that a prod. It's just extraordinary. Take yeah. that home. Put it in the pool room. Oh. All right. But, well, yeah. 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 Apparently it has like regenerated again in terms of the, the tourism traffic to Tunyon since um, yeah, the, the restrictions have been relaxed. I guess they want to be shipping some more bodies out there. Now, what about Paris? Yeah, well, I think Paris reigns supreme in the tombstone tourism stakes because, of course, they're home to what is considered the world's most visited cemetery, Pierre Lachaise. Oh, yes. Now, this was first established for the rich and the famous of Paris. Yeah. Business boomed and headlining the roll call of famous corpses buried at Pierre Lachaise, Jim Morrison, whose grave, of course, has been repeatedly graffitied. Yes, and all manner of unsolicited offerings are laid at his gravesite, particularly skimpy underwear. Apparently it's got to the point where a lot of homeless people in Paris will go there to get their underwear. Imagine what's going to happen when Tom Jones passes away. Oh my goodness. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. Other luminaries at Pierre Lachaise, by the way, include Edith Piaf, Oscar Wilde, Gertrude Stein and Frederick Chopin. So they've got the music at the Cemeteries sorted, haven't they? And the underwear. Yeah. And London has some great spots as well. Yes, Highgate is where to head if you're into your tombstone tourism. The most famous recent arrival to be interred at Highgate in London, George Michael. And what a legend he was. Yeah, his grave is still off limits to the public. Um, But like a lot of the most famous cemeteries around the world, it's the landscaping, the ostentatious tombs. They're like mini museums that pull in the crowds. Other luminaries at Highgate on Egyptian Avenue. Of course. <laughs> is um, That is home to Karl Marx, his final resting place, and also George Eliot. Now, if you're a classical music fan and find yourself in Vienna, uh, that is the place, not the song by Ultravox. So that was a great, great song, song. Too, Yeah, You must stroll through Zentel Friedhof, a veritable symphony of music gods. Mm. Beethoven, Schubert, Brahms, Strauss, all lie at rest here, and Mozart's got his own... Cenotaph, yeah, yeah, I know. By the way, another star specimen, the Hollywood Forever Cemetery. So if you're heading to LA, 
This is classic Hollywood. Palm trees, swaggering peacocks around the tombstones, and it's totally stuffed with dead celebrities. Can we use the phrase stuffed with dead celebrities? Why is this? Well, I'm just, you know, <laughs> stuffed taxidermy. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. It's, it's a high-density ground of dead celebrities. Oh, very good. There much better, go. much yeah. better. So Johnny Ramone, his tombstone is a life-size statue of himself. Of course it is. Now, I don't know if that means he's actually buried upright. <laughs> Maybe he is. Maybe he's standing. Maybe they, yeah. Very odd. Yeah. Uh, people go gaga over Judy Garland's grave. Then there's the likes of Mel Blanc, uh, Rudolph Valentino. So I know this sounds kooky, but it is LA. It is the place to schmooze with the ghosts of Golden Age Hollywood. There are even tour guides... On hand. As you do. <laughs> I'm still thinking about Johnny Ramone being buried standing up. I know. Jimmy Savile was buried at 45 degrees, so he had a view of the sea. Oh. I know. Mm. Uh, but he's also buried next to two schools, which they def- oh. the grave is now unmarked, by the way. No. So what are some of your personal favourite cemeteries? Buenos Aires is home to a place called Recoleta Cemetery. This would take the cake for me and the beauty stakes because... A bit like Highgate in London, it's like a small city lined with streets of marbled mansions. Hey. Thousands of them. Huge, ornate mausoleums. They're like trophy homes housing the remains of Argentina's one percenters. And as much as the extravagance is shameless, it's the sense of history yes. and the artistry of Recoleta that is so impressive. The most famous resident there, of course, Eva Peron. Eva Peron. Mm. Now, Mount of Olives Cemetery in Jerusalem is pretty special. Jewish people earnestly believe they've got the front row seat here on Judgment Day. <laughs> yes, it's quite a sight. Mm. Uh, it sort of just slopes down, doesn't it, from mm. the mount. And Moscow's prestigious cemetery... Not that uh, people are going to be visiting Moscow anytime soon. But Probably once, not, no. Once sanity returns to the world, they have got an amazing cemetery which is stacked with the who's who of the Soviet Union all the way through to Razor and recently Mikhail Gorbachev. Um, they're about three doors down from Boris Yeltsin at the cemetery. As one does. I wonder if they have a game of cards at night. Yes. Strolling through graveyards may creep some people out, but it's actually quite compelling. It's quite a sort of reminder, yeah. if you like. Well, I found whenever I went to some of these places that the idea that this very famous figure was lying directly beneath your feet, it just suddenly becomes more personalised, the whole thing. Even though they're dead. Yeah. But, I mean, like, say, take Graceland. I remember going there and just being struck by the idea that Elvis Presley was lying eternally below me. But he's dead. I know, but somehow even in death. He's not in the body. I know, but there is still that human connection to think this is where he was laid to rest. Yeah, I guess, yeah. So I think it does make the whole celebrity thing feel more real when you are thinking this is their resting place. I guess. This is where their family laid them to rest. I guess. This is where Priscilla shed a tear or two. Did she? Well, maybe not. She was probably thinking about the estate coming her way. Oh, dear. Have we just created a defamation scenario for Kiwi Tripsters? Just ahead. Uh, we are... Oh, no. yeah. Our Lonely Planet book giveaway. Some very, very cool stuff for you to win. And we check out some scenic drives from Whangarei back in a moment.
You're back with Kiwi Tripsters, Mike and Andrew. If you are road tripping this summer in New Zealand, there are some fantastic scenic drives from Whangarei. Let's start with Tutukaka. The, the loop, loop drive. drive. Oh, I do like a loop drive. You do. This is definitely <laughs> 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 This is definitely the most trafficked route from Tutukaka, Whangarei in that area. Yeah. So whenever I head up to Northland, I love taking a cruise on this loop route. It feels like a glorified overseas trip because it's the terrain and all of that subtropical foliage, which makes you feel as if you've been transported to a South Pacific island. Well, you've, you live in Christchurch and I know. it is over the Cook Strait, so it is overseas. That's true. Indeed. The uh, Tutukaka Coaster Loop Drive is about a two-hour ride. Yeah. Very photogenic, and I love how you You've got this string of villages along the coast, and they all just seem to be in like a perpetual state of blissed-out seclusion, and they are just home to so many creative types, alternative types, and lots of very convivial pubs. That would impress you, the pubs. Mm. The popularity of this route is no doubt fueled by the fact that Tutukake is the gateway to the poor nights. Yes. Did you go for a dive? No. No, I didn't think you would have. I'm not a diver. No, you're not. I'm a snorkeler, Mm -hmm. but I'm not a diver. No. But if you do want to go for a dive, yes. Uh, The Poor Knights, obviously, huge attraction in Tutukaka is how to get there across the water. But even if you just go to Tutukaka itself, that marina, my God, it is just such a magnificent setting. Uh, You'll see heaps of people heading off on those boat rides over to the Poor Knights Islands. But I personally did not make it past a place called Schnapper Rock, which is this beacon of Tutukaka hospitality. Did they have a bar there? They had a very good bar. I think exactly. they had a couple of Mai Tais, if I recall. <laughs> but it's like, once again, it's so South Pacific because they've got this fabulous thatched roof. Oh. Like a South Pacific fallet. Oh, how lovely. Very nice. And a Mai Tai. Yes. Indeed. Now, yes. Tutukaka has a very tall kauri. Yes. Tane Moana. Mm. Uh, but it's not the easiest tree to track down, despite its size, uh, without some serious legwork. She's a bit of an elusive minx. Tane Moana, I have to say. Mm. She's tucked in the hills behind Tutukaka, and it requires a four-hour return walk if you want to enjoy some FaceTime with Moana. You'd need a few Mai Tais for that. Yeah, well, uh, yes. Uh, it doesn't enjoy the rock star billing of big brother Tane Mahuta, yes. but Tane Moana is the largest kauri survivor on Northland's east coast. So she's about 30 metres tall, just under 200 years old, and she's got a stunning crown. Lovely. Mm. Apparently, previous generations of locals used to gather en masse under her wide shade for Christmas Day picnics. But even though it's quite a slog to get an audience with Moana, uh, the track weaves through lots of lovely, lovely native bush. Yes, indeed. And topped off, um, I topped off my Tutukaka sortie by then heading along the road to those insanely gorgeous northern beaches. Mm. Um, The best of the lot, I would say, is Whale Bay. It's got this crescent-shaped sweep to it, thickly fringed in Pahutakawas. It is just New Zealand in one shot, and (laughs) so unpeopled. Uh, And I love how you access the beach by walking through this grove of ancient puriri trees at Whale Bay. But yeah, just the abundance of pristine beaches on the east coast of Northland, really impressive. Now, another really good drive is Whangarei Heads Road. Yes, definitely. So strike out from Onorahi, which is on the peninsula's pencil-thin road, all the way 
to that great fixture in the Auckland marine weather forecast, Breamhead. Oh, yes. Remember they used to say from Cape Colville to Breamhead. <laughs> yes. <laughs> On 3YA. 3YA. Yes. Yeah. I, re- <laughs> I reckon this road yeah. is like a miniature version of the Tutakaka Coast yes. loop route because it is so scenic. You've got really cool walks, sweet little pocket bays, one after another, like huh. Munro Bay, McLeod Bay, McGregor's Bay, McKenzie Bay. They binged on the Scottish, didn't they? There? They did a little bit, yes. yes. And once again, they're all framed with Pahutakawa trees sort of leaning over the shoreline. The most popular walking track adjoining the roadside is the summer track up Mount Manaya, very reminiscent of those fang-like mountains that backdrop Rarotonga and Tahiti. Very much so, yes. I adore the jagged silhouette of Mount Manaya. It looks Jurassic. And the hike up to the summit's toothy pinnacles is a must-do. It's a thousand steps up, Andrew, but very manageable, even after a couple of my highs. Um, and it's a magnificent mountain because it's got this cloak of native forest. And once you get to the top, you've got those 360 views all the way out to Bream Head. Oh, right, Bream Head. On yes. a good day, you might even see Cape Colville. Oh, 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 how lovely. I, I hope I'm not over-promising there. Yes. At the base of Manaya, a fantastic memorial pays tribute to the district's early European settlers, all Scottish Highlanders, ah. which might suggest, you know, why we've named everything after ah. Scottish people. The McLeods and the Munros and the McGregors and the Mackenzies. Yes, and, yes, yes, if, yes. You, if you haven't got a M starting surname, you're out of luck, <laughs> you probably basically. Are. Yeah. So another great jaunt from Whangarei is to tootle down to Waipu. It's just across the harbour. In fact, across the harbour from there is Marsden Point. And just south of there, the best driving route is to follow the arc of Bream Bay's white sandy beaches. And Waipu is a Scottish hotbed as well. Oh, yes. Uh, The Waipu Museum showcases the great migration of the town's original 900 settlers uh, via Nova Scotia. And at Waipu Cove, they've actually got these fantastic wall murals which celebrate not just the arrival of the Bonnie Scots, but, of course, the great Pacific migration. Oh, how lovely. All right, prize time. Thanks to Lonely Planet, and these books are the creme de la creme of travel books, we have a guidebook giveaway. This week, we're giving you the chance to win Lonely Planet's experience... Of Italy! Yes. Yes. Indeed. Now, to enter the drawer... Yeah, yes. This is is actually like a, a memory test. It is. Give us the answer to this question. Well, what? it's it's a podcast, so they can just reverse it and listen to oh, the... Don't help them, Andrew. Oh, sorry, go on. <laughs> they were meant to be hanging off your every word without going back. Without going to sleep. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, having too many white eyes. Give us the answer to this question. In what city would you find Recoleta Cemetery? Right. Don't cry for me. Don't sing for me, Michael Yardley. <laughs> in what city would you find Recoleta Cemetery? Yeah. All right, to begin to win, send us a message with the answer on the Kiwi Tripsters Facebook page. We will randomly choose a winner and notify you direct. You've got to be in to win. Good luck.
Good luck. Could you say that with a bit more sincerity? What do you mean? Good luck, punters. Good luck, punters. Be into win, punters. <laughs> Have a couple of my ties. And anyway, <laughs> be sure to like our Facebook page and you can see our show notes on the website kiwitripsters.co.nz. Now, the articles on the topics we have chatted about, like Vilnius and Lake Constance. And Every time you say Vilnius, you have to do that. Vilnius. Yes. yes. And Friedrich Schaffen. <laughs> you can find those articles on our companion website, fortheloveoftravel.nz. That is fortheloveoftravel.nz. Plus, we would love you to rate and review Kiwi Tripsters on the podcast service of your choice, and there are many of them. Feel free to be direct with your feedback, be assertive, unvarnished. Don't hold back now, folks. <laughs> We hope to catch you again for another weekly episode with me bask in the sun, sand and soul of Samoa. Take care now. Uru. And that's a wrap for this episode of Kiwi Tripsters. Liked what you listened to? Then join us for our next episode of Kiwi Tripsters, where we bring you more travel inspiration, giveaways, and insider knowledge with expert guests on the show. Connect with us on Facebook and Instagram, and visit us on kiwitripsters.co.nz. But most importantly, subscribe and comment on Apple Podcasts, and tell us what you think of our show. Till next time, safe travels. Safe travels.